Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesapeake Baptist Church. This is our last message on discipleship in Luke 9. The title of the message this morning is The Price Tag. Jesus will always tell us how much discipleship is going to cost. Please enjoy. In the meantime, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're continuing. We've been a, been a few weeks in Luke chapter 9 discussing discipleship. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to finish out the chapter this morning. Luke chapter 9, give you just another second to get there. All right, if you have your places in Luke chapter 9, I'm going to ask you one last time to stand, respect and reverence to the Word of God. I'm going to read our scripture, pray, and then sit back now. We're going to begin reading at verse number 57, and then we're going to continue out the rest of the chapters, just a few verses. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The title of the message this morning is The Price Tag. The Price Tag. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we consider this thing of discipleship and what it means to truly pay a price to be a disciple of Christ. Lord, as we know, salvation is free, but discipleship is not. Lord, as we consider the cost this morning, I pray that you would lead, guide, and direct your people, direct your children in the path we ought to go. And Lord, help us to commit to you today. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. May be seated. Some of you may know my testimony, but the first college I went to was a Bible college in Indiana, and it was at that time. I went there for a few years. There had some discouraging things happen, and I actually quit the ministry. I quit the ministry, and I went home, and I bought a camper, and I put it behind my dad's house, and I was just gonna, I was gonna give up on the ministry. I was completely done with it. And in the meantime, I got a job working at a plastic company, rolling up plastic garbage bags. And let me tell you something, that was a rough job. It really was. I didn't have it very long. Um, I, I, I was a young guy. I didn't like it, so I quit. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't do something like that today, but you don't make the best decisions when you're in your early 20s. And uh, so I quit that job, and then I started selling. Some of you know this about me. I started selling Rainbow vacuum cleaners. And for some reason, I was a really good salesman. I don't know what it is. And uh, I went in there, and, and I was uh, uh, selling Rainbow, and uh, he was training me to sell these Rainbow vacuum cleaners. And he brought me in, and Mr. Harold set me down as he's training me to sell these vacuum cleaners. And you got to understand that back, you know, years ago when I was doing this, these vacuum cleaners were $2,500 a pop. And so I'm, they're, I'm more than likely more expensive than that now. But these vacuum cleaners were very expensive. And Mr. Harold said, Brett, I'm going to teach you to do something that nobody else in this company that I know of does. But this is how I want you to do it. I said, okay. What is it, Mr. Harold? And he said, Brett, what I want you to do is I don't, wait, I don't want you to wait to the end of your demonstration to tell them the price. I want you to tell them the price at the beginning. I want you to tell them the price at the very beginning. And at first, this shocked me a little bit. 
But he told me that he would go through a demonstration and he would do all this stuff to prove that this vacuum cleaner is a good product. And then he would get down to the very end and give somebody the price and it would immediately turn them off. So what he found and what he started to do is he started to give the price up front. He'd start out and he'd say, now look, I'm gonna, a lot of people, a lot of salesmen might tell you this at the very end of their demonstration, but I'm gonna tell you at the very beginning, this product costs $2,500 or however much it costs. Get the shock out of the way, and then he would spend the next 30 minutes or 45 minutes or however long his demonstration was, and he would build value in the product. He would explain to you why this machine is worth that amount of money. Yes, it's, it's a lot of money, but I'm, I'm going to tell you why it's worth it. I'm going to build value in this product to let you know that this product is worth this amount of money. So he told the price up front. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I was very successful using his method that he taught me. Now, I'm going to circle back to that in just a second, but in the beginning of Luke 9, we see that they are in Galilee. Jesus sends his disciples out to all these villages in the area. He tells them, if they reject you, to knock the dust off your shoes. So they go out into the villages. He sends them out, and then after a while, these crowds start coming to Jesus. These crowds come to Jesus, and then we have the feeding of the 5,000. Which, by the way, other than the resurrection, is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels, is the feeding of the 5,000. We have the feeding of the 5,000, and then after that, Jesus is trying to teach the difference between those who want the free stuff and those who want to pay a price to follow Christ. Jesus is trying to show us there's a difference between people who are coming just to get, but then there's also people who are coming because they're willing to give, who are willing to pay a price. He says, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to take up your cross, and then I want you to follow me. So Jesus lays out what is expected of a disciple. And then in Luke chapter 9, he also says there's a reward for this. And he shows us a little bit of the reward on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he goes up on top of the mountain and he's transfigured and his clothes glow white and his face shines. And he, he's glorified there and we see Moses there and we see Elijah there and a voice comes from heaven, and it's God the Father saying, this is my chosen one, uh, listen to him. And so, man, this is such a glorious time. But then it, come, it comes time to come off the mountain, and when the disciples come off the mountain, then we see their sinfulness. We see that they did not listen to the command that Jesus told them to do. Jesus told them to deny themselves, and we talked about last week how they weren't doing what Jesus told them to do. We see another example of this in Luke 9, 51. If you would look back with me at verse 51. When the days were approaching for His ascension, He was determined to go to Jerusalem, and He sent messengers on ahead of Him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make the arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are. The Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. So back up a little bit, you have Assyria that came to the northern kingdom and took over the northern kingdom. They took all the Jews, most, most of the Jews out of the northern kingdom and they resettled it. 
Well, when they resettled it, you have these Assyrians and these Jews intermarrying, and that is where you get the Samaritans. This is a mixed race of people that the Jews absolutely hated. And the Samaritans had disdain right back at them. And the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that instead of going through Samaria, they would go around Samaria and just adding days and days on their journey, making it way longer than it should have been. But Jesus had no such prejudices. Let me tell you something. Jesus does not approve of racism, and Christians shouldn't either. Christians shouldn't either. Like what Billy Graham said, he said, Christianity isn't a white man's religion. It's not a black man's religion. It's a world religion. So when this village, this village rejected the disciples, the, the Samaritans, they rejected them because they're on their way to Jerusalem. And then what did the disciples say? They said, can we call fire down and burn them off the face of the planet? Let's just burn them, Lord. Let's just like Elijah called fire down. Let's call fire down. And Jesus looks at him and said, What? You must be crazy. In fact, let's see what they were supposed to do. In the same chapter, Luke 9, 5, the Bible says, And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from the city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They weren't supposed to call fire down and burn them up. They were supposed to shake the dust off their feet, go on to the next village. But that's not what they asked Jesus to do. And who, and, and who is spearheading this? I said this last week. It's John, the disciple of love. He says, love one another. He wasn't loving Samaritans when he wanted to call fire down on them. So this just further shows the disciples' sinfulness and the disciples' rejection of what Jesus had taught. Now as a direct result of all of this, Jesus is now going to give them in more detail what the cost of discipleship means. He's going to give them the cost And this is kind of really astonishing because you would think that Jesus wants as many people to follow him as possible. You would think that. He said Jesus wants everybody to believe in him and I'm sure he wants people to follow him. But, you know, in the verses that we read for our text, it almost seems like Jesus is trying to discourage people. It's almost like Jesus saying, are you sure you want to follow me? Are you, uh, are you positive that's what you want? And, you know, it, it almost seems like he's kind of discouraging people from following him. And, and then most people in that situation would be like, man, I, I want as many people to follow me as possible. But Jesus is like, whoa, 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 hold up a second. If it was anybody else, they'd be that, like that, but not Jesus. It'd almost be like you coming to me and saying, Brother Brett, man, I, I want to be in a ministry. Put me to work. Whoa, 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 hold on a second. Are you sure that's what you want? Are you positive? I really don't think you'd enjoy it. Are you sure? It'd almost be like me saying that. But truth be told, Jesus tells people the price up front. He, didn't, he doesn't wait till you commit and then quit down the road. No, he's telling people the price tag up front. I'm going to tell you what it's going to cost right now before you commit. So what are the choices? We have some choices to make today if we want to be disciples of Christ. It's one thing to be saved. It's one thing to have your fire insurance. It's one thing to know where you spend eternity. It's a completely different thing to be a discipled follower of Christ, 
Someone that sacrifices. Someone that pays a price to follow Christ and follow in Him and devote their lives to Him. That is another level. That is something different. We are here at this church not to just sit here Sunday after Sunday and fill an hour and check off a checklist to say that we've come to church and we've done our due diligence for the week. We are here to build disciples. That is what we're here to do. We're not here to fill time. We're not here just to, just to pet our little egos. We're not here just so we can say to the world, I went to church on Sunday. We are here to build disciples. That's what we're here to do. And this is a big part of what our mission is. So what are the choices? What are the choices that we have to make if we want to follow him in discipleship. I want to be more than just saved. I want to have more than just my fire insurance. I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to be a student. I want to be a devotee. I want to be a servant of Christ. What must I do? We've got some choices to make. Jesus gave these three wannabe disciples the same choices. Let's talk about choice number one. Comfort or the cross? Comfort or the cross? Luke 9, 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, that's, that's kind of a commendable desire, isn't it? Man, I want to follow Jesus, there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to follow Jesus. However, Jesus' response to this guy kind of shows us that there was an ulterior motive here, something that Jesus knew. You see, Matthew tells us that this, this guy was a scribe. Okay, this guy was a scribe. So, in this, so there's this tradition of the day that if you attach yourself to a big name rabbi, if you attach yourself to a big teacher, then you can make a name for yourself by attaching yourself to someone else that has recognition. Well, then, then you can get recognition through him. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He had cast out demons. He had healed the sick. Man, what a guy to attach yourself to. And especially we think this when we hear Jesus' response. There's a very good chance that this first guy, he was just seeking self-advancement. Let's read verse 58. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, <clears throat> but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Man, you would think, like I said at the beginning, that Jesus would be taking all, getting all the followers he could get. Man, the more the merrier. And if it was anybody else, that might be true. Why would Jesus discourage anyone from trying to follow him? Look, wanting to follow Jesus, like I said, it's commendable, but it's costly. It's costly. Jesus will always spell out the cost first. And if you want to be a disciple of Christ, the very first thing it's going to cost you is your comfort. Your comfort is the first thing it's going to cost you. This guy wanted to follow Christ, but he didn't know the cost. Jesus said, look, even the animals have homes. You're not going to know where you're going to sleep at night. I mean, you're not going to know that. I mean, I have no pillow. I'm a stranger to my own people. I'm a wanderer. I'm an outcast. That's what you're getting yourself into. I came unto my own, and my own received me not. He is the Son of Man. That title means He is not only fully God, but He is also fully man. And, and, and the beaver has a dam, and the bird has a nest, and they're richer than Jesus. He says, if you do want me, comfort's got to go. It's not going to be this cushy, 
pillowy, flowery beds of ease existence. Comfort's got to go. In the very next chapter in Luke 10, he sends out 72 messengers. Look what he tells them in Luke 10, 3. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Lambs as wolves? No money bag? No suitcase? No shoes? Man, that doesn't sound very comfortable to me, does it? In chapter 10, he also talks about the good Samaritan. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he had saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him into an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. This Samaritan is helping a guy that absolutely hates him, but he gave of his own time, and he gave of his own effort, and he gave of his own money. I bet you that wasn't comfortable. Do you know who was comfortable? The priest and the Levite that went by on the other side of the road. They didn't want to get sweaty. They didn't want to get dirty. They didn't want to get bloody. They didn't want to spend any of their own money. They were the ones that were comfortable. Matthew 19, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. It says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Matthew 19, 21 Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. He didn't choose Christ. He didn't follow after him because he had too many possessions. And it reminds me of a story that I heard about a man that lived a long time ago named John James Audubon. John James Audubon is actually where you get the the name the Audubon Society. It's where you get the name the Audubon Zoo. And this guy, he was a naturalist. He was a, a painter. And he decided that he was going to paint all the birds of Louisiana. So what he did is he would wake up and he would go, he would wake up at midnight and he would wade out into the swamps of New Orleans. And man, he's out there in neck deep stagnant water, barely breathing with water moccasins around his face, gators swimming by, all to get a picture of a bird. I'll, I'll keep my Sealy Masterpedic, I mean, my therapeutic mattress, you know, all to get a picture of a bird. But yet you have Christians who've been known to come into a church, turn around and leave because the AC wasn't cold enough. You had Christians that wanted to go to church, but it was, it was raining outside. Ooh, I can't get wet, I'll melt. We have Christians like that today. You know, most of us, we live a life geared toward comfort. I want to be comfortable. And our whole life is geared toward and, and, and aimed toward and pursuing toward living a life of comfort. And what that means varies from individual to individual. But mostly what we're after, the American dream, man. Want me a good job. Want me a nice car. Want me a nice home. Man, I've got these certain possessions that I have to have. And what the man, this is the American dream. For me, when I was young, you know what it was? It was a four-wheeler. Man, I wanted me a four-wheeler so bad when I was a teenager. I wanted me a big bear. One of those four-wheel drive big bears going in and out of the river. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted that, that four-wheeler. But, you know, we all have these possessions that we have to have. 
we have to have the bass boat. We have to have the fifth wheel camper. We have to have the hunting club. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching against any of this. I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm saying that's what your life should not be pursuing toward. I'm not, I'm not preaching against in, having any of these things. So if you have a camper, don't think, press preaching against me. No, I'm not. I'm not preaching against that. What I'm saying is that doesn't need to be our life's pursuit. Our life's pursuit should be to spread the gospel and live for Christ. And that doesn't mean you can't have the camper, but it does mean it might have to wait. It doesn't mean you can't have it, but it might mean you have to wait a little longer for it. Jesus tells this guy, look, your most basic needs are to be sacrificed in order to follow me. Now listen, he is not going to call most of us to be homeless. He's not going to do that. But he does set a good example here, doesn't he? He sets a very good example. A disciple must always choose obedience over comfort. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, you must choose obedience over comfort every time. And guess what? When you're a disciple, you come to the realization that you don't have any possessions anyway. It's not yours to begin with. I mean, Job says, uh, uh, God says in Job 41.11, Who has given me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole of heaven is mine. God says, I don't owe anybody. I don't have to repay anybody. Everything under heaven belongs to me. And a disciple realizes that their possessions belong to God anyway. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you make your decisions based on comfort? You make your decisions based on comfort. What will make you the most comfortable? Where you'll spend your time, your giving, all everything in your life. Look, I'm not telling you to be comfortable. When I hit that office in the first in the morning, the first thing I hit is the is the AC. I turn that joker on. I want to be cool in there. I'm not telling you that you can't be comfortable. I'm telling you, you better not choose comfort over Christ. You better not choose comfort over Christ. And that means we have to get out of our comfort zone. You know what a comfort zone is? A comfort zone is this box we live in. And then as long as we're inside of this box, man, everything is good. I'm familiar. This is my routine. I got it down. Don't ask me to go out of my routine. And the first time the Holy Spirit commands us to step outside the box, we say, no, I've, I've, I've got my comfort zone. I can't, I, I, can't, I can't get outside of this little box. And Jesus says, man, you got to get rid of that. You want to be my disciple, you need to pretend that comfort zone doesn't exist. When is the last time the Holy Spirit told us to do something and we said no because it meant we had to step out of our comfort zone? Go talk to that person. Ooh, no, I can't do that. It makes me uncomfortable. Man, this person you just met, you're having a conversation with, he just mentioned God. This is your opportunity to share the gospel and witness to him. No, I can't. I'll pray for him. But I can't. That will make me uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to go help that person. But it does mean you'll get home late tonight and your supper might not be hot. No, I can't do that. I've worked a really long, hard day. I'll help him tomorrow. How many times are we going to tell the Holy Spirit no? How many times are we going to choose comfort over Christ? A disciple chooses obedience over comfort every time. Comfort of the cross. Number two, the second decision we'll have to make is delay or decide. Delay or decide. Let's look at Luke 9, 59, the first part. And he said to another, follow me. So sandwiched in between these two unwilling yet unprepared eager disciples, 
Jesus actually calls this guy to follow him. He, this, this disciple doesn't ask Jesus. Jesus says to this guy, follow me. In fact, it's repeated 19 times in the four Gospels where Jesus says this command, follow me. And it's probably one of his most repeated commands. And let me tell you that a call to follow Christ always means sacrifice. Somebody once said, when Jesus calls you to come and follow me, he also calls you to come and die. It's very interesting. Let's see what, what happens in Luke 9.59. But he said, Lord, per, per, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now listen, this sounds very harsh. But I want you to consider that we live in modern times. We don't live in this day and time. And uh, we're not Jewish. Deuteronomy 21.23 tells us, You shall bury him the same day. His body shall not remain out all night. So when you're a Jew, you had 24 hours to bury a body. You had 24 hours. So it's very highly unlikely that this guy would be standing here listening to Jesus if his dad were actually dead. He would have already begun preparing the grave. You know, it could be that his dad was sick and about to die. That could be the case. But, uh, you know, after you do some research, you find out that the phrase, I must bury my father, was actually a common figure of speech of the day. And it meant, let me wait until I receive my inheritance. Then I will follow you. See, knowing this changes everything about the passage. Okay, this man wasn't asking permission to bury his father. Instead, he was putting off service until it was convenient for him. There was this lady that owned the gas station next door to my shop. Her name was Pinky. And she was just a spitfire type little Indian woman. And... Uh, a lot of days, me and Emily would go walking with her around, you know, walk the block, try to lose some weight. And, uh, and so she was, so we become friends. And she told me one, a story one time. She said she hired this girl and the girl came in and Pinky said, okay, you're going to work until, I forget the time, say 530. So you're going to work until 530 today. And the girl looked at Pinky and said, ooh, that's not convenient for me. Ooh, and there's some things you just don't say to Pinky because she does not hold back. And she looked at her and said, honey, I didn't hire you for your convenience. I hired you for my convenience. I mean, that was some uh, management advice I never forgot. But we go to Jesus, don't we? And say, oh, Jesus, that's not convenient for me. And Jesus says, it's not about your convenience. It's about my convenience. Now, also, I also want you to see here that this isn't a right versus wrong decision here. This is a right versus right decision. I mean, by itself, in and of its, itself, him wanting to be around to his father dies and, 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 and handle his father's affairs, that's not a bad thing by itself. It, it, it really isn't. So this is a right versus right thing here, but we got to ask our question, what, what's second best and what's absolute best? And what's absolute best is following after Christ. But it also shows something else. It shows that he was more concerned with his earthly inheritance than he was concerned with his heavenly inheritance. Luke 9, 60, but he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of Christ. See, this guy is after this inheritance. He's trying to 
maintain his lifestyle. He's got plans for this money that he's going to receive. Maybe he has property that he has plans to buy with the money. Maybe he has something he'd like to build, a business he'd like to start with this inheritance. But Jesus says, quit trying to maintain your own lifestyle. Quit making excuses and follow me. Quit trying to protect you, this, this, this false sense of security that you want to have and instead proclaim the gospel. When Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, that means let the dead do the mundane things. It'd almost be like someone coming to, like, like God, the Holy Spirit, uh, convicting someone, say, I want you to be in the ministry. And they're saying, but I'm studying to be a doctor. And the Holy Spirit would say, okay, let the world be the doctors. You come do what I told you to do. That's what it means, let the dead bury the dead. Let, let the world take care of the world, and you take care of what I told you to do. But there's a double standard here. There's a double standard. We say that only when it's something we really uh, we say that about everything except stuff that we really want to do. Let me give you an example. It's the best way I can explain it. You're in the Super Bowl. Man, you're playing in the Super Bowl. It's an hour before the game. Your, 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 your team has got a good chance of winning the Super Bowl. You're going to get that ring, and you get a phone call an hour before you, you take the field that your mom has died. Are you going to leave and go? No, you're going to stay and play. And you might even say after the game is over, you know what? My mom would have wanted me to stay and play. My mom would have, would have wanted me to do that. And so we have a double standard when it comes to this. You see that this calling that Christians have, it far exceeds any other obligation you have. It far exceeds any other allegiance you have. And we say we're going to follow God until it's something we really want, and then we choose it over what God wants us to do. We have this false allegiance to something. Jesus didn't teach, Jesus didn't teach people to forsake their responsibilities to their families but what he shows us is that discipleship requires instant action. If you put it off, you will not do it. Wife, how long have you been on your husband to build that flower bed for you? I'm seeing some elbows, some cutting eyes. How long have you been after your husband to do that project around the house? And what happens? He keeps putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Because delay destroys and procrastination kills. And if you put it off, you won't do it. Going on to the next one. But put it off, you won't do it. We have to be ready to serve even if it means a sacrifice. Lord, I'll serve you with my life. Man, I'll do everything I'm supposed to do. I will go to church and I will give and I'll pray and I'll, I'll read my Bible and I'll, I'll, I'll help in a ministry and I'll, I'll help people and I'll, 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 I'll give people the gospel, Lord, once I finish school. Once I get married, Lord, I'll have time to do that. Lord, once my career gets settled, man, then I'll serve you with my life. Once I have kids, Lord... Once I have kids, then I'll, then, then I'll settle down and we'll do this thing right. But then that turns into, man, as, Lord, as soon as the kids graduate, I'll have time. As soon as the kids graduate. Lord, as soon as I get these bills paid that, 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 that I, I have to pay, then I'll, I'll give like I should. Lord, I, I'm having too much fun right now doing stuff a Christian shouldn't do. But one day, Lord, one day I'll commit to the mission to live for you, Lord. I'll focus on you one day. And one day never comes. Christians, don't delay. Decide today. 
And then number three, conditions or commitment. Conditions or commitment. Luke 9, 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. This disciple, just like the others, wanted to follow Christ. But there was an issue. And you know what the issue is? The issue really isn't the phrase, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. That really wasn't the problem. The, 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 you know, because by itself, that's a reasonable request. The problem was those two little words in front of that phrase. And those two words are, but first. But first. These two words reveal that there's a deeper problem with this man. What is it? Well, he lays it out in the next verse, Luke 9, 62. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus knew his audience, so he chose an illustration that everybody would get that everybody would understand. And what this is, is that when you're plowing and when you're using a mule to, to plow, and it, you have to pick a spot in the distance and never take your eyes off that spot and go right towards that spot because that's the only way you're going to get a, a straight row. If you turn around to see if your row is straight even once, you'll be off. Your row will be crooked. You won't plow straight. In this Bible, there is illustration after illustration after illustration of people that took their eyes off God and failed. Lot took his eyes off God and put his eyes on Sodom. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. He lost his wife, died in shame. Moses took his eyes off his calling, struck, struck the rock out of anger instead of talking to it like he was supposed to. This kept him out of the promised land. David took his eyes off his duty as king, put them on Bathsheba, bringing grief to his family for generations. Samson took his eyes off God. He died in shame, never having done what God called him to do. And then, of course, there's Peter. Only other person other than Jesus to walk on water. And he looked at Jesus and everything was fine. But as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord and he put his eyes on the storm and the wind and the waves and the lightning, he began to sink. You know what this guy's problem was? His number one love was his friends and family. I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's not wrong to love your friends and family. It's wrong for them to be number one. Luke 14, 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. We are to prioritize him over our family. He is not telling you to hate your wife or hate your husband or hate your brother or hate your sister. He's saying that your love for Jesus should be so great that compared to the love for your family, it looks like hate. 
That's how much we are to prioritize him above our family. Oh, I can't talk about church or God in front of this family member because they might get offended. What? Who are you trying to please? Men or God? Mark 12, 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Revelation 2, 4, But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Who in here has got a butt first? When you have a butt first, it means, you, it means that he isn't first. What's yours? Oh, I love you, God, and, and, and I want to follow, follow you in discipleship, and I want to commit to you, God, but first I've got this relationship, and I'm going to put this relationship over you. This relationship is going to determine where I go to church. This relationship is going to determine what ministry I'm in. This relationship is going to determine what time I read my Bible. This relationship is going to determine when I pray. This relationship is going to, not the Holy Spirit is going to tell me how much to give. This relationship is going to determine how much I'm supposed to give. This relationship is going to determine my relationship with you. Then you have a but first. You seek the approval of men or do you want to obey God? What is your but first? Is it a job? Is it a sin? What's your first? When you say but first, you put conditions on him. You say, God, I'll follow you. But on my own terms. I'll follow you on my own terms. Night, we have this ritual. It's like a negotiation. You know, in the, in, in, the, in the police department, when there's a hostage situation, you have to call in the negotiator. When it's bedtime, it's negotiation time. Bedtime's 9 o'clock. Oh, wait a minute. Here come the negotiations. If I hit him with 1030, then maybe we can meet in the middle and bedtime can be 9.30 or 10 or maybe I can even get a 9.45 out of this or the negotiator comes, oh, oh, well, let us finish this show and then there's a decision, okay, how long does the show have left? And then you look, you hit pause and the DVR comes up and you see how many minutes does this show have left to play and then you calculate the time and the minutes and there's all kind of these terms and, and, and negotiations going on when it comes to bedtime. But with Jesus, there is no setting terms. With Jesus, there is no conditions. There's, there, there's none of this with Lord. Jesus says, I want total dedication. I do not want your half-hearted, uninterested, apathetic, superficial, lukewarm dedication. I will spew that out of my mouth. I want total dedication. If you are not willing to abandon everything for Christ, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not fit to be his disciple. In fact, verse 62 says, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's talk about that word fit. What's he trying to say? That word fit is the Greek word yophetos. And it means useful or suitable. He uses the same word in Luke 14, 35. It is useless either for the soil, talking about salt, or the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So that word fit is this word. It, it basically, it means you are rendered useless. If you do not totally commit to Jesus, if you focus on anything else other than him first, you are useless. If you put a relationship before him for the kingdom of God, you're useless. If you put a job in front of him, now don't, don't get me wrong. No, I'm, I'm, I gotta stop there. I'm not telling you if your job tells you to work on Sunday, don't go to work. I'm not telling you that. I'm not going to pay your bills. Okay, I'm not going to do that. But there does come a point where we have to make a choice. What comes first? Okay, I understand the ox is in the ditch. You got to get them out. But what comes first in your life? If anything else comes before him, 
and you're useless for the kingdom of God. There was a young man that wanted to dedicate his life to Christ. So what he did is he got a piece of paper, and he wrote on that piece of paper all of these things that he's going to do. Uh, you know, the, all the ministries he's going to help in and all the people he wants to help and all the people he's going to pray for. And he just makes a big list of, of everything that he wants to do for Christ. He takes that and he signs it at the bottom and he goes and lays it on the altar. And he didn't get peace about it. Something was still wrong. There was still something, there was... He, he felt some turmoil about it. So he went back later and he got the piece of paper and he brought it back to his house and he redid the list. He rewrote it. He added more things that he would do for Christ. He added, he added things that he wouldn't do and he just made the list really long. It was a couple pages of all the stuff that he would commit to do and stuff he would commit not to do. And he wrote it all out and signed it and he come and put it on the altar and he still didn't have peace. The Holy Spirit was still working in him and he was still struggling and he didn't know why. And so he went to the, to the pastor who was an older man, a wise man. And the pastor looked at the young guy and said, look, get a blank piece of paper and sign your name to it. Put a blank piece of paper on the altar. The young man did that and he got peace. What do we need? We need some Christians to sign some blank pieces of paper. Don't put conditions on him. Don't put anything else first. Don't tell him what you will do. Don't tell him what you won't do. Sign a blank piece of paper and give it to God and commit, God, whatever you write on this piece of paper, I will do. And that is a disciple. We don't get to pick and choose when we follow him, it's not discipleship's not a grocery store. What have you said no to Jesus about lately? Just because we wanted to stay comfortable, we wanted to stay in our comfort zone. Oh, God, I don't know how to do that, so I'm not going to do that. Makes me uncomfortable to say, and so, so you just say no. What have you said no to God about lately? Have you decided that it's time to commit to God fully or are you delaying? Are you putting it off? Are you making excuses? My dad used to say, if, if you wait until you have money to have kids, you'll never have kids because you'll never have enough. You'll always be able to come up with an excuse. But guess what? Disciples don't make excuses. Are you trying to follow Jesus on your own terms? Are you a committed Christian or are you a conditional Christian? Because if you say but first to Jesus, then you're not fit to be his disciple. No but first. 